Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Asanda, thank you very much. Six minutes past 12. This is Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. There's an interesting campaign launched by the city of uh, Joburg's mayor, uh, that's Park Stau, focusing on verifying the number of uh, applicants who first applied for housing subsidies during the 96-97 period, round about uh, the uh, Reconstruction and Development Program, RDP, there. So the city's wide campaign uh, will begin in Soweto. So we'll be looking at that particular story. But um, very interesting, and uh, I would like to solicit your view on this one, and uh, SMSs, please, on uh, 34701, otherwise you can tweet at, at uh, SAFM Midday Live. Statistician General uh, Padi Lehotla has made such a, an interesting point that uh, the 30% pass mark standard for South African learners does not help young people find jobs. It makes uh, young people unemployable or, as he puts it, unattractive to prospective employers. So South Africa is said to be among only a few countries in the world with uh, pass marks below 50% at high school level. So what do you make of this? Should we push it up to at least 40% or 50% should be the key pass mark? And who came up with uh, uh, this um, really uh, a point of uh, lowering uh, our our standards to 30%. So uh, that's uh, one story that uh, we're looking at. But also, uh, if you've been lying about your money, SARS will get you. The SA Revenue Service has acquired new powers now to gather intelligence on you, the taxpayer. So we hope to speak to uh, SARS spokesperson uh, Adrian Lakay shortly. This is a Midday Live on SFM. Uh, to our top story this hour, President Jacob Zuma is uh, hosting his uh, Nigerian counterpart, Good Luck Jonathan, who is uh, on a state visit to South Africa. A number of uh, bilateral trade and investment agreements are to be signed, and that uh, this will be followed by a joint media briefing uh, by the two leaders. Let's talk now to our presidential correspondent, uh, Tsepo Ikaneng. But uh, Tsepo, before we get to the some of the agreements that have been signed already are here. Uh, President Jacob Zuma was in Nigeria last week or last month, there is, and a week and a half later we see a Nigerian uh, President Goodluck Jonathan in South Africa. What should we read into this at the back of uh, reported souring relations between the two countries? Thanks very much, Bogi. Yes, indeed, President was Abuja, the capital of Nigeria, a fortnight ago, basically to prepare for this historic visit. As you are well aware that uh, President Goodluck Jonathan is in um, uh, a second uh, official term uh, uh, as president of Nigeria, and this is his first ever state visit to South Africa. Uh, the fact that both countries, South Africa and Nigeria, are powerhouses economically and they have major influence in terms of their military influence in the continent keep uh, uh, peacekeeping. And we saw the debacle over the Central African Republic where we lost our servicemen. And there's been lots of concerns to say that is South Africa acting alone in terms of making sure that there's peacekeeping. So indeed, the critical part of the visit of the president a fortnight ago in Abuja was actually to say that we need each other as countries that are very much influential, both continentally and, uh, and, and, and on global matters. So this is why the president of Nigeria, uh, Jonathan, was also very happy to say that he has been invited and accorded to that status to say that South Africa have to start working together in terms of uh, making sure that they solve continental problems and also forge a closer and it's down to business already. I mean, uh, there, there are some uh, agreements, uh, bilateral trade agreements also that have been signed between the two countries. Uh, do you want to list them for, for us and, uh, and uh, talk us through their significance? Yes, a record seven uh, agreements that have been signed uh, in telecoms, energy, uh, culture, P, uh, women development, and, and, and including investments. And that's what uh, President uh, Jonathan said that he, since he assumed power, he has never signed these kind of uh, kind of agreements. A record about seven, and they also point to the need for those countries to actually make sure that their relationships are mutually beneficial. Because we know that major South African companies, especially within the hospitality and telecoms industry, have investment uh, has huge investments in Nigeria. We have the population there around 150 million compared to South Africa, which is about 50. So the Nigerians are also here to say that South Africa must 
open up its market for Nigerian business people to come and invest here. So that is why there's been this kind of tension diplomatically to say that as much as Nigeria is opening up uh, its market to South African businesses, the same has not been done by South African uh, government itself. So he really stressed that in a media briefing that we just heard to say that we hope that the South African government, through these protocols that they've been signed today, they'll be able to uh, open up and allow more uh, business people, business corporates, from, from Nigeria to invest in our country. So this has got nothing really to do with, uh, as it were, two bulls in, uh, in one crawl. It's about really strengthening uh, bilateral trades between the two countries. I mean, the value of a bilateral trade rose to 36.6 billion rand last year, uh, five times uh, more than the 2002 level. Yes, indeed. And, and for those, that figure that you're putting out, I mean, it's heavily skewed in favor of South Africa. And that is why there's much ag- agitation from Nigerians to say that, guys, we need to work together. South Africa, you know, that is a lucrative market. is uh, is also a gateway to many countries and most corporates from abroad, from the U.S., to from China, from, from Europe. They, they look to South Africa first before they invest. So they say that they want to be partners. And as we are well aware that South Africa is a member of the BRICS and there's been this kind of an, a competition or there's also been talk that Nigeria instead of South Africa should be part of that BRICS grouping. So there's, there's been those kind of uh, undertones that needed really head of states to work on them to say that guys, we need to work together. They need to really uh, talk uh, on issues that of mutual interest, which is about economic development of the whole continent. And that is what President Zuma said to say, even when they discuss issues of um, military interventions, they have to start working together, as we know that there's been a, a really uh, a, a, a uncomfortability from the West African states in terms of our intervention in Central African Republic. So those are the key issues that say we are equal partners, let's treat each other equally. All right, uh, we thank you very much. Uh, that's uh, our presidential reporter, uh, Tsepo Ikanen. And uh, still to come, Johannesburg Mayor Park Stau has officially launched a campaign aimed at uh, verifying people who applied for government-subsidized houses during the 1996 to 1997 uh, the period there. So we'll be looking at uh, that particular story as well. But also I'm asking you this. Our Statistician General, uh, Paddy Lihotla, has made such an interesting point, uh, saying that uh, 30 percent pass mark standard for South African learners does not help young people find jobs. It's a, it, it makes a young people unemployable, uh, put it uh, in his own words, unattractive to prospective employers. He was releasing the unemployment figures yesterday as you had uh, going up to about uh, 25.2%, if I'm not mistaken, uh, up from uh, 24.9%. So a further 100,000 people unemployed in South Africa. So what, what's your take on this? Should we leave it at 30%? Should we raise it uh, to 40% or even 50%? We are one among uh, only a few countries in the world with uh, pass marks uh, below 50% at high school level. So um, I welcome your SMSs 34701. It's a uh, 14 minutes past 12. Midday live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Our top story this hour, the mayor of Newcastle in KwaZulu-Natal, Afzul Rehman, says he was the victim of a racial slur after a provincial traffic officer called him a Gupta. Looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at $1,461.14 an ounce, platinum at $1,490.45 an ounce. The rand is trading at 9 rand 5 cents against the US dollar at 14 rand 7 cents to the pound and 11.84 to the euro. Behind every melody, there's a memory. You know, I'm a soul singer. I've always been. I mean, I have grown quite a lot, but soul has always been what I'm about. Relive it on Afro Cafe. Afro Cafe, where your favorite stars take the spotlight every Wednesday at 10 p.m. Let the journey begin only on SABC2. Join me, Debbie Edelstein, at the 8th We Are The Leaders We've Been Waiting For Women's Leadership Conference on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Each year, the Women's Leadership Conference asks powerful leaders to share their leadership secrets with women who want to fast-track their path from good managers to great leaders. For more information on the Women's Leadership Conference, call Lizzie on 011-880-9749 or visit qualitylife.coza. Because when women connect, the world changes. 
Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. 16 minutes past 12, this is Midday Live indeed on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. We're still going to be talking to SARS. Uh, well, they're telling us uh, right now, if you've been lying about your money, they will get you. Uh, there's a new act now out. Uh, it's called the Tax Administration Act uh, coming into law. It was actually uh, promulgated uh, in October last year. So hopefully we'll be talking to uh, SARS spokesperson there. But let's go to uh, our reporter, Tsepo Pahane, first uh, about uh, police firing rubber bullets at a group of uh, Clip Town residents who are protesting against the removal of their illegal electricity connections. City Power has been in the area since early this morning removing the connections, but residents are up in arms. There is a strong police presence in the area. Shops in Clip Town have been closed and traffic around Walter Sisulu Square is being redirected to so that uh, motorists uh, don't find themselves in the midst of the chaos. Sepo, just uh, talk us through this uh, chaos that is happening right now as reported. What is going on? Good afternoon. I must say that you took all my words, my man. Uh, what is happening here? Tension is brewing. I mean, the, the situation is very tense. Uh, I'm standing on top of a small hill overlooking a cliff town in former settlement here. Yeah, I could see, I mean, young people, uh, youth, mostly, you know, engaging in running battles with the police. I mean, they, these young people are pelting the police's phones. The police, on the other hand, are firing rubber bullets to try and disperse them, but it doesn't look like they are winning because they are not budging. They've been doing this since in the last hour. Basically, what sparked this is that in the morning when we were uh, attending the launch of uh, the 1996-97 uh, campaign of the city of Chobek, um we passed here and we saw that there were officials from uh, City Power who were moving around uh, around here in Cape Town, you know, uh, basically removing the illegal connections from some of the, the, the houses and the, uh, and the shacks. So what we uh, gather, speaking to, to some people, is that uh, some of the residents here are very angry uh, over that, that, you know, uh, uh, you know, officials from City Power are, are removing this illegal connection. So what is happening is that, you know, there's been this running battle, and now, I mean, there's a train that is stuck in the middle of of the train right uh, train uh, 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 in the middle of uh, of the rail here people had to disembark from the train because uh we should have been told by some of the witnesses that uh, apparently some people had put uh, uh, sort of like a, a bar in the middle of the train so that train couldn't move further than where it is now people had to disembark and move uh, towards the platform there at the uh, crystal station it's interesting you're saying that uh, uh, residents there are up in arms, but uh, the connections are illegal. Of course. I mean, the, the connections, uh, some of which are illegal, but some, some residents saying that, uh, you know, just overhearing them speaking that, you know, the, the officials are targeting people who are also having legal connections, but it's difficult to, you know, to to, 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 test, uh, to what exactly is happening. But what is known and what we have, from officials from city powers that most of the connections here are illegal. That's why they moved into the area to try and uh, uh, disconnect, uh, uh, to make those disconnections. So mm. I need to move. Uh, 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 I need to move only because I mean, uh, from where I'm standing, I can see that these young people are now cutting their phones towards towards um, the basically the venue where the mayor and the pakistan is supposed to to be launching this campaign that uh, I, I, I mentioned earlier. So. Um, I'm speaking to you, but I have to move. And the police are now firing rubber bullets to try and contain the situation. All right, uh, uh, be safe, uh, Tsepo, there. Uh, let's uh, let you move uh, so that uh, you don't get injured there. So Tsepo reporting to us live. Uh, the issue really is that uh, police are firing rubber bullets at a group of uh, Clip Town residents who are protesting against uh, the removal of uh, their illegal electricity connections. Uh, Mayor Park Stow is expected to officially launch a campaign to provide houses for those who applied for RDP homes back in uh, 1996. We're hoping to talk to uh, the M. MC Dan Bovu there, uh, who is uh, of course uh, part of this. So we'll be talking uh, to Dan in a short while. It's uh, 20 minutes uh, past uh, 12. This is the midday live on SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. In Radio Vuka at a quarter to four this afternoon. Oh, Innie, you look super pleased with yourself this morning. You do, like the cat who got the cream.
I just wanted to apologise for being a bit of a monster in rehearsals generally. Ah, dear. I don't know why it is, but the pressure just all gets a bit too much when I'm directing, and I can't seem to be able to stop myself from overreacting to every little thing. Apology accepted. And I, in turn, must say that I also feel the pressure when it comes to rehearsals, and I'm not always, well, subtle in my responses. Don't miss Radio Vuka at a quarter to four. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Let's stay with the, the issue of uh, the city of uh, Joburg. As you heard, uh, Mayor Park Stow is expected uh, to officially launch a campaign to provide houses for those who applied for uh, RDP homes uh, in uh, 1996 and uh, 1997. Now, uh, it's in the vicinity of where police are firing rubber bullets uh, at a group of uh, Clip Town residents who are protesting against the removal of their illegal electricity connections, as you heard from uh, our reporter there, uh, Tsepo Pahane, trying to take cover. So let's talk now to the MMC uh, Den Bovo. Good afternoon to you. Hello, good afternoon to yourself and your listeners. Are you, are you at, uh, at the venue right now? Because also as we were talking to uh, our reporter there, there was commotion and the young people throwing stones. Are you fearing that they might even want to disrupt this launch? I mean the venue, we are quite where the venue is in Cape Town, but unfortunately that... Electricity. But where we are, we are saying, continuing for our meeting, the mayor has done the spoking already. We are now moving to question and answer questions. Alright, uh, so, so let's talk about this launch right now. What is it all about? I mean, you're going back to the RDP houses, 1996-1997. There's a verification process that needs to happen. Just unpack this whole uh, project for us, please. Uh, what we are doing each and every house in Johannesburg throughout, as we are launching today, we are moving to, we are launching it today in the way to, as of the set, we are moving door to door in the way to. We are moving door to door, and then as we do door to door, we will be going to people's houses, making, asking them about, uh, they are still from 96, preparing them for what is called an allocation. Allocation in the fairing and flare-off and the high, as we did today, we allocated an old lady of 102 years. Mm. I'm, 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 okay, I'm trying to, to understand this whole campaign. How did it come about? I mean, uh, there are people who were there in uh, 1996 and 1997 on the list. Some of them have not even gotten houses up to this far. So what exactly are you doing? Are you saying to them you're going to be giving them houses? Are you saying you want to see if they're still there? I'm just trying to understand that point. What we are doing is we are saying... Allow us to move back to your houses because we want to verify. You will know, 9697 is a long period. It has been uh, it's a while. There people, some people have naturally uh, passed on. Some people themselves have uh, progressed. Some are still in the same situation. So as we want to progressively address the plight of those who applied in 96, we say let's find out where are they. All right, uh, we get you. Thank you very much uh, to Dan Bovu there. He is uh, the member of a uh, mayoral committee uh, in uh, the city of uh, Joburg. We'll try and see if we can't uh, get more information from our reporter, Tsepo Pahane, there, who is uh, there in Cape Town, where police are firing rubber bullets, as we heard, and young people throwing stones as well. So we'll try and go back to that, at least get an update for you, and uh, if there are routes that have been closed, and uh, alternative routes as well. The SA Revenue Service has uh, acquired new powers to gather intelligence on you, the taxpayer. This will make the information submitted in tax returns to be easily verified. The regulations gazetted in terms of the Tax Administration Act passed in October last year gives SARS access to a greater range of third-party information, individuals and companies such as lawyers, state agents and medical aid funds now have a duty to automatically submit information about their clients to SARS. For more on this now, we joined on the line by SARS spokesperson Adrian Lakey. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon and thank you very much for the opportunity. A very interesting headline here saying, lying about your money 
SARS will know? Is, is it as simple as all that? <laughs> In a nutshell, yes. Um, basically, the practice that we call third-party data verification has been part of our tax system for at least the last five years when we started to introduce changes to the personal income tax system. Um, basically, better automation and modernization of our systems um, has enabled us to take the tax return that you submit to SARS every year and the information that you declare, which is a legal declaration, we are then able to match that with third parties like banks, um, where you have your life insurance policies, where you have your medical aids, even where you buy your vehicle if you have a car allowance, and where you service your vehicle to check the mileage if there is a portion of that mileage that you claim for business travel. So we've been doing that um, for a number of years, and it helps us to on the one hand, ensure better compliance and better disclosure by taxpayers, but on the other hand, also, uh, through our interaction with employers in the country, we've really built a system where when you get your tax return these days, especially if you do it electronically, it's already pre-populated. Mm. And, and that is, we are able to do that uh, through our cooperation with employers and better disclosure on both parts where they can tell us Bongani works for the SABC. This is what he earns every month. Mm. This is the taxes we deduct as employers. This is contributions to medical aid. And all of that is on your tax return already. So it has a dual purpose, and it's really part of our evolution to become more efficient, use better automation, and make it easier for everyone at the end of the day. So, uh, well, you've been doing it with the banks, uh, uh, I know, when you're doing your investigations also. But uh, what prompted this one? Have you been finding that uh, uh, people lie about uh, their uh, status, financial status? Um, basically, we have a better technological capability these days to be able to detect risk and non-compliance. Um, and also to engage more proactively with your biggest uh, companies that are involved in financial services, medical aids in particular, um, vehicle purchases, and what we want to focus now, and that is why this comp- component was also part of the new regulations, is attorneys and estate agents. We want to ensure that when people declare income, uh, we want to test whether they also include their rental income, for example, in their declarations to SARS. So mm. that's a specific focus area. Um, the other stuff have become fairly standard in our annual checks and third-party verifications, your salary, your medical aid, your, your bank accounts, and so on. Uh, of course, you, you're trying to collect as much revenue as you possibly can, but also what is due to you. But also there's an issue of uh, of uh, privacy here. I mean, if uh, if my state agent uh, will start submitting my information to SARS, I would get mad. Um, that's why we, we put as a regulatory uh, requirement, and it's on our statute books now in terms of current legislation. We don't want to operate outside of the law. And one of the assurances we give to taxpayers in the same law, the Tax Administration Act, if you look at Section 69, we give a very concise and a very clear undertaking that all information regarding a taxpayer's affairs that is provided to SARS are kept confidential. So we cannot disclose your information to any unauthorized third parties, um, even high-profile cases that we get asked about regularly by the media uh, about the tax affairs of person X or Y, we must keep it confidential. It's a statutory obligation on us. Um, so there's no chance for, third, for, for, for leakages to third parties. We can't use it. We can't use our tax uh, register for marketing purposes of any third party or anything like that. Because on the one end, you want to encourage people to make full disclosure. And the assurance you give them is that we will not disclose your affairs to anyone else. All right. Uh, thank you very much there to SAR spokesperson Adrian Lakay. But also, it will be interesting to hear what the SA Institute of Professional Accountants uh, has to say about this. We'll be talking to them uh, shortly. 12.30 now. Time for the news headlines with Asanda Matsaunyan. Thanks, Wongi. Good afternoon. The SA Revenue Service says the Tax Administration Act gives the body power to verify taxpayers' information with third parties. The new regulations require institutions like banks and JSE-listed companies to disclose certain transactions twice a year. 
The mayor of Newcastle in KwaZulu-Natal, Lavzul Rehman, says he was the victim of a racial slur after a provincial traffic officer called him a Gupta. The mayor says he was repeatedly called a Gupta during an argument with the officer who at one point told him to go back to India. And police are firing rubber bullets at a group of Cliptown residents who are protesting against the removal of their illegal electricity connections. City Power has been in the area since early this morning, removing the connections, but residents are up in arms. For SFM News, I'm Asanda Matsaunyane. Details at one. What are you smiling about? I'm just thinking about the mayor of Newcastle. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's quite unacceptable. Yeah. For I don't know. I'm going to reserve my comment because I might just get myself in trouble. But it's all right. I'm just thinking about it. Yeah. Just because I'm, uh, I'm Zulu, you can't and start calling me whatever you want to call yeah. me. You know, Shaga or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> to be great to be called King Shaga, but, <laughs> but you can't just assume. <laughs> but thank you very much, Asanda. Let's go now to, not, uh, not Natalie first, but let's go to Nancy Richards. What's coming up on Otherwise Between 1 and 2 today, Nancy? Hi there, Bongi. Well, we're starting off the show today with a visionary iridologist. She's going to talk about her journey in a book that she's called Dollars to Soweto. We'll also be talking to Mrs. South Africa, who calls on victims of abuse to use their experience to help liberate others. And we'll be chatting to actress uh, and entertainer Casey Dolan about her book called An Appetite for Peas. And in it she says, I've done some really brain prunes in my life and some really stupid ones. Hopefully we'll be hearing a few of both. That's what we've got lined up, so do join us. It's for Otherwise, right after the news at one. Thanks, Bongi. Thanks uh, very much, Nancy. And uh, Natalie Chimanas, it's a women in action in the Soweto Open. Yes, it is. And after a pretty easy match in the end for the number one seed, Timia Babel, she's through to the second round. She beat Karen Shlomo of Israel in straight sets, 6-1 and 6-2. It was a match that lasted well under an hour. And Babas was quite impressive with her serve. She's a very attacking player. She had five aces to her name as well. She's ranked number 111 in the world and certainly one to look out for in the tournament. Earlier on, we saw South Africa's Lynn Cairo, who's the only South African in action in the singles today be knocked out by Teresa Majoric of Slovenia. In the end, Majoric won it in straight set 6-7-6-2, but Kira is definitely one for the future, only 17 years of age at the moment, and she is quite a tough competitor on the junior circuit, and a part of South Africa's development, and certainly a, a prospect for the future of South African tennis. We also saw the number 6 seed, Jovana Jakcic of Serbia, get through. She beat Laura Pagasi of Brazil in straight set 6-3 and 6-3, and she said after her match that she felt quite comfortable at altitude, which surprised her a little bit. She still was playing a very attacking game and wasn't afraid to overhit the ball despite being at altitude. The number eight seed also made it through to the second round. That's Margalinet of Poland, and she beat Basaka Radin of Turkey 7-5 and 6-1. Natalie Jumanis for SAFM Sport. 26 and a half minutes to one. This is Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. And we go back to the SA revenue story. As you heard, uh, Sar saying that uh, the Tax Administration Act gives the body power to verify taxpayers' information with third parties. Now, let's hear what the National Tax Committee chairperson, Etienne Ritti, at the SA Institute of Professional Accountants has to say. Uh, good afternoon to you, Ms. Ritti. It's a mystery, sorry. Uh, Etienne, oh yeah, there you go. Uh, so w- what, what, what do you make of all this? Uh, do you, what's your take? Well, first of all, SARS uh, has a duty to collecting taxes in the most effective and efficient way possible. And uh, this was another step towards the technology being used and efficiency that, that SARS has demonstrated the last few years in terms of employer reconciliations and new tax returns. Uh, and, and definitely, uh, I would say it's groundbreaking technology that they're using that other countries are, are, are only now adopting and mimicking. So, but there's, there's nothing wrong with this. Or is there? The the principle of getting third parties to uh, verify information is a sound audit principle. It's a comparative. You said it's X, we've got someone else that verifies that it's the same number. And if it doesn't match, we we would need you to explain, please, uh, why have you got a different value? Mm. So it makes good sense to to use this. And and SARS has been using it for for many years. The difference is uh, that SARS and the the old provisions had some restriction to information and, and 
in what format they could ask for that. We now with the new Tax Administrations Act uh, and of course the recently published uh, regulations for third parties, it now instead of SARS making an inquiry or, or take, taking this information and collating, it now forces third parties to provide information in an electronic and a predetermined format on a regular basis. And SARS has dramatically more powers than, mm. than they had in the past to collect information and to verify information, which ultimately, uh, you know, we, we've had this debate uh, in the development of that legislation, is necessary uh, for, for SARS to have that added powers in order to collect taxes and ensure people are, are paying their fair share. Obviously, there is always potential for abuse, but third-party validation is not one of those. Uh, but, uh, Mr. Rutif, really, what are the dangers of, of this move by, by SARS? They said that uh, they will make sure that they protect uh, individuals' information, but uh, what do you see as a danger? Well, SARS has been very good in the past at protecting the information of taxpayers, uh, and, and we have to commend them. They, they, they really do stick to those provisions uh, quite aggressively. The, the problem that we, that we face is that uh, we still, more you rely on third-party data, there is, of course, the opportunity that that party who's giving that third-party information, if they make an error, it makes it a little bit more difficult for the taxpayer because it's not just me saying it's X and, and I've got a validation of someone else and, and it goes from me. It could be a lot more aggressive because uh, that electronic data it, it itself, if it's wrong, could effectively um, allow SARS to assess you for a greater amount, you'd have to object, and it's difficult because it's your burden to prove that information wrong. Uh, and that could be a bit difficult. Do you think this needs to be challenged finally, or do we need to accept it with open arms and open eyes as well? Well, I think third-party data validation is not one of those things we should be challenging. Uh, there will be opportunities in the future where, where I'm, I'm sure where we could be challenging the boundaries to, to what extent SARS might request information. But with third-party data, uh, I wouldn't challenge it. I think it's a necessity. In fact, I would say um, I look quite excited by the next step because uh, one must understand that it's not just for SARS and the validation. Part of that modernization that SARS has done, as we've seen in the past with employers' information, where that gets pre-populated to returns. Mm. In our future, we would find a lot of this information about medical aid and interest earnings and so on, in fact, already becoming pre-populated. Um, so it's more you just validating that you agree with the numbers. And it would help um, taxpayers, uh, I think, in being a lot more accurate uh, in filing their tax returns. Uh, and also, it, it, um, uh, to a certain extent, I think it also helps from a moral sense of, I like the idea that while I'm paying my fair share of tax, uh, SARS now has greater means to identify the, the, my next-door neighbor who's not paying his fair share of tax. Okay. So, from that point, I, I, would, I would say it's a, it's a good step forward. Etienne Routif, uh, thank you very much. Uh, he is uh, the Tax uh, Committee Chairman at uh, the SA Institute of uh, Professional Accountants. It's uh, 21 minutes uh, to 1. This is a midday live on SAFM, uh, South Africa's news and uh, information leader. Uh, and uh, shortly we will be talking to uh, Paul Teron. He is the CEO of uh, Vestec Asset uh, Management. Uh, it's about shares in uh, African Bank Limited. Uh, falling almost at 4%, adding to a nearly 20% plunge seen on Friday. So should we be worried? Uh, that's uh, something that uh, we want to look at because, of course, uh, uh, as you know, African Bank is uh, the leading uh, unsecured lender in uh, South Africa. Three young women who vanished in separate incidents about a decade ago in the U.S. state of Ohio have been found alive in a house in Cleveland. Amanda Berry disappeared aged 16 in 2003. Uh, Gina Deusos went uh, missing aged 14 a year later. And uh, Michelle Knight disappears, uh, or rather disappeared in 2002 aged around 19. Their discovery followed a dramatic bid for freedom by Amanda Berry on Monday held by a neighbor. The BBC's Jane Dickel reports. It was an extraordinary discovery. Three Cleveland women who went missing at different times years ago found in one house in the city. It's just truly, truly uh, amazing and it's uh, uh, you know, a blessing to the community and 
to the members of the police department and their families that um, that they're alive. There's three in custody. They're all brothers. Did they live in the house? And um, one of them lived in the house. It was Amanda Berry who alerted a neighbor by screaming for him to rescue her. I look and I see this girl and she just going nuts on the door. So I'm like, what's your problem? You stuck? Just open the door. And she says, I can't. You got it locked. Now look how he has it. And it's only enough to reach a hand out to grab the mail and, you know, close the door. And she, we, you know, naturally going to pry it open. That didn't work. So we had to kick open the bottom. Luckily on that door it was aluminum. It was cheap. And she climbed out. She went to my house. We called 911. He gave her his phone to call the emergency services. Help me, I'm Amanda Berry. You need police, fire, or ambulance? I need police. Okay, and what's going on there? I've been kidnapped and I've been missing for 10 years and I'm, I'm here, I'm free now. Amanda Berry reportedly had a child with her. Other children were said to be at the house as well. It was 10 years ago that Amanda Berry, then aged 16, made a call to her sister to say she had a ride home from her job at a fast food chain. She never came home. A year later, Gina De Jesus, then 14, went missing on her way home from school. Words can't say it. She knew who we were and she knew we were looking for her all this time. The third woman, Michelle Knight, disappeared 12 years ago, aged 20. Despite the headlines and an extensive search, they were all but given up for dead. One prison inmate even claimed he knew where Amanda Berry's body was. It was a cruel hoax. The women have been taken to a hospital for medical checks and to be reunited with their families. The mother of Amanda Berry will not be there. She died in 2006, never knowing that her daughter was still alive. And uh, that report by the BBC's Jane Little, very touching story there. You can easily say Gina de Jesus. It's actually Gina de Jesus, as you heard there. It's uh, 18 minutes now to one. This is Midday Live on SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Shares in uh, African Bank Limited have fallen almost 4%, adding to a nearly 20% plunge seen on Friday. The country's biggest unsecured lender has warned of a half-year profit decline of as much as 28% African Bank, which also runs uh, furniture stores, said last week uh, its results were hit by the write-off of bad loans and slack consumer spending. Now, let's talk some more about this uh, to Paul Teron. He is CEO of uh, Vestec Asset Management. Good afternoon to you, Paul. Yes, hello. What what do we make of this? Should we be worried uh, wiping off 28% of their profits? Yes, and obviously the slide in the share price is also very painful for uh, African bank shareholders. But I think we should keep things in perspective. Obviously, mm. unsecured lending is an area of the economy and of the banking sector which does sometimes give people cause for uh, a second thought because unsecured lending is inherently uh, a little bit risky because uh, no collateral is supplied. But it's a very important part of our consumer economy because obviously a lot of people don't have assets but need access to credit to send kids to school or to yeah. add to uh, informal houses or rural houses. Um, but look, this company is still very profitable. It's just basically indicating that it uh, wants to increase its provisions for potential uh, bad loans. And I think everybody in this unsecured lending space has been getting a little bit more cautious because there's been quite a lot of credit issued, not only by the main players like African Bank, but also by the big four banks. Mm. And, you know, there's just a concern that maybe uh, increases in social grants might be a bit modest and uh, the job market's been a bit soft. So I think it's a little bit of a, of a bump in the road, but exactly. I didn't, I certainly, yeah, I certainly don't think it's a long-term uh, disaster for the industry. And the other banks, uh, the, the, the four big, uh, big banks would look at it and say, maybe uh, it's, uh, it's pretty much the end of, uh, uh, of uh, this, this era of uh, unsecured lending because uh, people are plunged into further debt. They are unable to pay. If you wipe out 28% of your profits, really, it's a serious problem. Yes, look, the big banks have had a bit of a checkered history with unsecured lending. I mean, they quite like it because it's very profitable, but they tend to make mistakes in this uh, environment. So 
You know, ABSA had some disasters with uh, a Unifer subsidiary there, and some of the other players have dabbled. But I think in recent years, they've all become a little bit more active um, in granting loans. You may note sometimes when you go to the ATM, if you're a customer of one of those banks, you get offered these loans. But, uh, you know, the, the sector does have a bit of a bad reputation because there are sometimes stories of excesses, but there are... Uh, many millions of South Africans who have been reliable customers, uh, who have been good payers and as a result have been offered slightly larger loans over slightly longer periods. And I think it has helped a lot of people clamber their way up out of the lower middle classes, you know, mm. get going, get their kids advancing, uh, improve their homes, improve the value of their assets. So I don't think it's the beginning of the end, and I think the national credit regulator and the government has done a lot of good uh, work in preventing and avoiding excesses uh, and other problems in mm. the industry since 2006. And uh, finally, Mr. Turon, really do, but does this point now to a need of a, a more controlled uh, unsecured lending space? I know government uh, doesn't like it too much because uh, they feel that it's plunging our people further into debt, but also NCR has pointed uh, a finger at them and saying that uh, there is uh, some unscrupulous dealings there. Yes, again, I mean, every problem that one reads about, uh, you know, is a problem. And, for example, uh, one of the banks had a case in Dundee in KwaZulu-Natal where uh, some lenders had uh, colluded with uh, some fraudulent members of staff uh, to issue loans which should never have been issued. And the uh, national credit regulator was getting heavy with them about that. But one must remember there are in aggregate probably somewhere north of 250 billion rands worth of small loans extended. And the vast majority of those cases are conducted more or less adequately. Sometimes people get into arrears, but then they start paying again. Most of these banks operate responsibly. The few loan sharks and other mushroomita types, they are there, but one shouldn't uh, uh have the view that this is the entire industry. Most okay. of the industry is out there doing good work. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, uh, Paul Teron, uh, CEO of Avastec Asset Management. With that, we say good afternoon to Paul Moro of uh, Sasfin Securities as we look at the markets right now. How has uh, the decision by the Reserve Bank of Australia to cut rates affected trade today, Paul? Uh, good afternoon, Bongi. Uh, market is trading flat despite slightly weaker end and uh, firmer close in the east. Markets, however, are better in Europe, where the foot is up 0.3 of a percent, tax up 0.66 of a percent, and the CAC 40 is 0.21 percent better. Back to the JC, we've got the gold index down 0.6 of a percent, resource index up half a percent, industrial index down 0.15 of a percent, financial index up 0.1 of a percent. The overall market is up 41 points, or 0.1 of a percent, to 39,870 points. And uh, any corporate news? Uh, there's very little other than uh, results from uh, transaction capital, which is also involved uh, somehow in the micro lending, unsecured lending as we call it these days. Uh, they released their interim result. Uh, headline earnings per share were up uh, 10.5% to 39.9 cents. That's against 36.1 cents previously. An interim maiden dividend of 9 cents per share was declared. Transaction capital is currently trading 0.15% higher at 6 rands and 70 cents. And uh, your biggest uh, movers today? Uh, on the upside, we've got uh, Lonmin up uh, 6.3% to 42 rands. African Rainbow Minerals up 3% to 175 rands and 25 cents. VHP Billiton up 1.7% to 264 rands and 30 cents. Capitec up 1.6% to 204 rands and 79 cents. Harmony Gold also up 1.6% to 41 rands and 60 cents. On the downside, we've got Afrox down 8.3% to 20 rands and 90 cents. Altec down 4.8% to 33 rands and 31 cents. Discovery down 2.7% to 82 rands and 20 cents. African Bank down 2.4% to 22 rands and 19 cents. And lastly, Tiger Brands down 2.2% to 293 rands and 40 cents. And uh, your latest market indicators? The gold price is currently quoted $1,460.64 an ounce, platinum $1,487.45 a fine ounce, Brent crude $105.20 per barrel, the Garmin R157 is trading at yield of 5.05%, 
And now to our currencies, the rand to the dollar is at 9 rands and 3 cents. The rand to the euro is at 11 rands and 84 cents. The rand to the pound is at 14 rands and 3 cents. Back to you, Bogi. Paul Moro of Sassman Securities, thank you very much. Have you ever apologized for your lack of knowledge regarding financial matters and considered what are the implications it may have on your future and that of your family? Each week I explore a different financial principle to ensure that you will have a secure future and peace of mind right into retirement and hopefully give you a better understanding of the process required before purchasing a financial product or making an investment, thus ensuring that you are better informed before making decisions about your current situation and financial future. I'm Brian Hirsch. Join me every Tuesday morning at 10. Hi, I'm Valen Kirti. I'm a Shake the World Ambassador, which means that I support the eight millennium development goals set by the United Nations in 2000. Lime green, orange and dark green beads adorn my wrist because I support goal two, achieving primary education. Goal number three, promoting gender equality and empowering women. And goal seven, ensuring environmental sustainability. These are massive tasks which will need the energy of millions. My support is how I shake the world. How do you shake the world? This is SAFM. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Eight minutes to one. Uh, Marikana police in the northwest have opened an inquest docket following the death of a 26-year-old man. The body was identified as that of Lungani Mabuchana, one of uh, the survivors of the Marikana tragedy during last year's unprotected strike in Lone Mill. It is reported that Lungani was expected to testify at the Marikana Commission of Inquiry currently underway at the Rustenburg Civic Center. Let's talk now to our reporter Lizette Labuskakni. Good afternoon to you. Advocate Darlene Pofu back, but also we hear of this inquest docket. Talk us through those. Yes, Mommy, that's correct. Advocate Mpofu back this morning. We were all happy to see him back after he um, took a bit of a break from the commission after the injuries he sustained on a beach in East London. But he is busy with cross-examination of Annandale currently. And um, as you just um, told your listeners, we did hear about the sad death of another mine worker at um, Warner Kopiesk today. We understand that his body was found hanging from a tree near um, one of the small copies by workers that were on their way to work yesterday morning. The police were very sketchy with information, not really wanting to um, draw comparisons between his death and what had happened at um, London's Marikana mine. I'm saying that they are investigating this inquest docket. And um, thus far, the commission has also not mentioned these deaths. So I don't know if they are not aware of it or um, if it's not been brought to their attention yet. And uh, about uh, what happened uh, during the cross-examinations today, who is on the stand and uh, what are the questions? Well, um, as I said, um, Paul is back this morning. He started cross-examinating um, Annandale this morning after Advocate George Pesos finished late yesterday. And now, he started his cross-examination by asking Annandale who told him to go to Marikana and um, to be part of the Marikana operations, who gave him authorization. And um, Annandale said he, as a senior police official, did not need authorization from anybody. Um, but Mpof is saying that Annandale was one of the key police that made serious decisions that changed the outcome of the Marikana um, unrest and, and how things unfolded, and that he uh, must bring a document and, and his job description to the commission to show the commission that he doesn't need anybody um, to give him permission to go anywhere, that he can decide that on his own. And um, a bit of an argument about the, the term used to massacre with um, Annandale saying he's not comfortable with him for calling it a massacre because that would implicate, would imply that the police actually shot workers um, deliberately and that it was not the case. Lizette Labuskakni, thank you very much to our reporter at the Commission of Inquiry there, uh, Falam Commission of Inquiry in Rustenburg. The Basic Education Minister, Angie Botseha, has presented her budget vote to Parliament, so we'll be talking to Bulelani Philip about that. But uh, some of the tweets coming through here, this one coming from uh, Tulani Eingwenya, saying that uh, uh, even with our degrees passed with distinctions, the big cops, uh, that's companies, still claim we are not good enough. Senzeni Natina. Black. 
graduates. Uh, and uh, again, he continues to say, before democracy, these white companies employed our uneducated grands. Uh, post-democracy, the educated blacks are not good enough. And uh, going through to the SMSs right now, I smile because my city manager and uh, mayor, Mr. Sindlela, respectively, turning our city around, uh, PMB, that's Peter Marisbeck, is awake from the ashes indeed. Uh, blacks are fit to govern, says uh, Brian Kumalo. And this one says the benchmark must be at least 50%. All we are doing is to accommodate a nation of idiots, writes uh, Singh in Guazulu Natal. And Joan Peggy uh, in Peter Marisbeck says that the Newcastle mayor saga is disgusting. Our people need to be sensitized about uh, these silly stereotypes. We need to teach them our history. Those are just some of uh, the SMSs. Let's go to uh, Cape Town now. The Basic Education Minister, Angie Mutsecha, has presented her budget vote to Parliament. Uh, Mutsecha didn't have a good year since uh, her last budget. She has been at uh, loggerheads with uh, teacher unions, faced uh, the textbook debacle, uh, interruptions of education in the Northern Cape, and so on. Bulerani Philip, what are the highlights of uh, Minister Angie Mutsecha's uh, budget vote today? Uh, good afternoon to you, Bongi, and to the listeners. Basically, the minister has tabled a 17.5 billion budget for education, uh, which is up from 16.3 billion rand compared to last year. And now some of the highlights in terms of the sizable share that will be taken some of the programs is the massive literacy campaign called uh, Karikude, which will take about 549 million rand of the budget. The school feeding scheme grant uh, will be taking about 5.1 billion rand, and the education infrastructure grant for building the uh, math schools uh, takes about 6.6 billion rand, and that program will be trying to, you know, eradicate these uh, dysfunctional schools of about 200 around the country. Mm. So those are some of the highlights uh, in that part, uh, in, in, in that budget. Uh, but uh, are we hearing of a, a, a bigger chunk also going to towards equipping teachers, training teachers to be uh, better teachers? Yes, uh, the minister has announced a couple of uh, you know uh, grants that will be used for t- teacher and uh, education programs, and uh, those will be used over this uh, 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 budget cycle, as well as she will also be making some announcements in the uh, medium-term framework. All right, so, but uh, there, there was no space for the, the relationship that, is, that, that has improved between herself, her department, and uh, of course her DG, and uh, the teacher union, Satu. Uh, she did touch on that matter. You'll recall yesterday there was a, a meeting or a press conference around, you know, uh, this issue of Satu and the uh, DBE. And uh, amongst other issues that was agreed there is that, you know, both parties will go back to the throwing table in terms of trying to, you know, go back and negotiate on some of these issues that have not been seen eye to eye. Amongst others is that uh, Satu has decided now that, you know, they are recalling their earlier calls of saying that the minister must resign as well as the DG and Mr. Subrayan. So the minister was saying that in her budget vote that they are happy that they are at least now in the process of negotiating with Satu and other teacher unions in terms of trying to find each other on some of these issues that have been thorny on their relationships. We thank you very much, Bulalani. Philip, our reporter in Cape Town in Parliament, uh, talking to us about uh, the basic education uh, uh, department really presenting its uh, budget vote in uh, Parliament. Just uh, one SMS here. Good day. The state of education in South Africa is very shocking and disgusting, especially looking at uh, the fact that some politicians in power currently got educated outside the borders of South Africa. I personally believe they should have turned around the education system by making it one of uh, the best uh, in Africa, uh, if not the world. That's where we leave your Tuesday edition of uh, Midday Live. We turn to the team now and uh, we thank each and every member of the team, Mabu Buluka and Amandi Samkrelo today. Technical producer is Ntogozo Kuzwayo and senior producer today is Normalizo Mandela. We thank also our executive producers Busisi Wechane and my name is Bongi Kuala. We shall do it again tomorrow and enjoy the women's tennis at the Soweto Open. And of course, there is a PM Live coming through between 4 and 6 this afternoon. And before that, though, there is Ashraf Garda between 2 and 4. For now, we say Nancy Richards, what's coming up on otherwise between 1 and 2. And of course, Asanda Matsaunyana in the newsroom. And she's about to give us the news. Till we meet again for your Wednesday edition. Bye bye.